I'm guilty over the course of my life of, you know, not wanting to let people down and, you know, just making it seem like at all times everything is all right. It's not true. Awesome. Yeah. Dude, this is so dope. Like it? Damn. Wait till Gabriel sees this. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sagan Experience, the show where we explore how you become the absolute best version of yourself. Today, I'm joined by GW Wright. GW is a sports marketing executive, a Chicago City native, an incredible father, and a somewhat decent poker player. Huh? <laughs> GW, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, guys, this is actually our very, very first show. And uh, oh, wow. I'm super excited to do this. We were supposed to have a guest last week, but we changed it to next week. So, Jelly, you're our first guest, man. I'm breaking the seal. You are. That means a lot to me, man. And guys, yeah. you, you want to stick around till the end because I have uh, something special for Jelly, a little present. Uh, he has not seen it before. He doesn't know what it is or what it looks like. Uh, so, you want to stick around to the end. So, what could that possibly be? Because Christmas hasn't arrived yet. My birthday is passed, <laughs> so it has to be something ultra special. It is. Yeah. It is. Okay. You'll see it, my man. Um, I want to start off with talking about like your childhood a little bit, where you come from. One thing I remember about you is you're very proud of where you're from. Yep. Um, you're always like, I'm from the South side of Chicago. You say it with Absolutely. pride and vigor and I love that. Uh, so tell me about growing up there. It was a good time to grow up. I grew up, you know, of course, I'm, I don't want to age myself, but I grew up in the late seventies, <laughs> early eighties in Chicago, sort of came of age, um, right around a time when hip hop and graffiti art and that whole thing was taking hold of Chicago. <clears throat> it was taking a storm, taking taking control of the whole country. But that's when, you know, the kids in in my neighborhood start getting involved in Chicago. It was like ve a very influential time in the city of Chicago. Mm. Yeah. So you're into like that scene a lot. Like I still love it. I'm not as into it as as some of the people that I grew up with. Folks that are have moved on to art and you know have galleries and actually you know work for the city of Chicago in the art department. Guys that were graffiti artists back in the days. Mm. But I still keep my posts to you know I, I try to check the posts of the, of the culture every now and again. Mm. Yeah. Talking about culture in Chicago. Uh, so I grew up in Brazil, yep. as I think you know, uh, in the '90s. And I remember Space Jam was like huge. Actually, a lot of American culture was huge there. The movie? Yeah. Space Jam, okay. Oh, yeah. no, it was, it was huge. And that introduced me to MJ. And then I just became the biggest Chicago Bulls fan. Uh, obviously, it was you know, a bit of a bandwagon. Like I was, you know, seven <laughs> yeah. or eight. But I had all the jerseys. I remember having the sticker like on my glass window. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was just like so hyped about it. Um, tell me about like that era, you know, especially 80s, 90s. Um, with NJ coming, because it wasn't just like a local thing. This was like w huge worldwide. Yeah, it was a global thing. And the Chicago Bulls were like the team of the world at that time. Um, you know, I remember 90, 91, 92, when the Bulls started winning their first round of championships, you know, people would be, you know, we'd be home for summer from college and, and folks would be like, what are you doing tonight after the Bulls win? Mm. It wasn't a case of if we won, it was after the Bulls win. So much excitement in the city. We were cocky. You know, we, you know, sort of got over that hump with the D Detroit Pistons. And then from there, it just took off. And of course, Michael retired and people were sad about that. And then he came back and they won another three championships. So that was like a really, really special time in Chicago. And, you know, the championships in the city of Chicago came few and far between. You got the Bears back in, you know, 86, the Super Bowl shuffle. And then from there, it was it was the Bulls. And then after that, it hasn't been many since then. The Cubs finally got over the hump in 2016. <laughs> so I was really excited about that because both of my grandfathers were huge Chicago Cubs fans. And they had passed away. So to see them finally you know, get a championship, mm -hmm. I just wish that my grandfathers were around to see it. Yeah, yeah. I bet yeah. that would have been super special. Yeah. Um, I remember watching The Last Dance when it came out. And very honestly, I... I'm into like soccer, football, not as much in basketball, yep, but yep. the documentary was so beautifully done, I felt. And I love how they kind of jump from like different periods of time, but they would like build up the stories and then like go back. And it it wasn't confusing. When I first watched it, I was like, this is going to be like hard to keep up going the eras. But uh, I loved it. And one thing that really stood out about the documentary is he got that contract with Nike. I think it was like 250K. And they're expecting to sell, I think it was like $3 million in their first year. And they ended up doing $126 million. Do you remember that uh, that happening? And, you know, what was that like? Because I feel like that was such a pivotal point of, like, sports marketing and, like, 
you know, be an ambassador for those type of brands, right? That was something new. I mean, if you think about it, there were a couple of deals done before that prior with Magic and, and Larry Bird with Converse. Mm. But the Nike deal, you know, it was uncertain. You know, they just took a took a bet on this this young kid out of North Carolina and it paid off. And now that, you know, that Jordan brand, I don't know if you've seen a recent article, they're making, what is it, $3 million every couple of hours now or something along those Insane. lines. Yeah, so... Nike bet big on Jordan. The Jordan brand is, you know, sort of neck and neck with Nike now to me. Mm. And it was a it was a great a great gamble to take. And this is before the sneaker culture had taken off. You know, I remember back then it was probably what I still wear today, a white pair of classic K-Swiss. You know, there was maybe the Air Force One was out, maybe a Nike trainer. And then after that, the Jordans kind of took the world by storm. When did, when did the sneakers like really start to take off? Because... I remember in Brazil, uh, honestly, this was kind of sad, but like outside the building I was at, someone actually got shot for their Jordans. Um, And I was like, oh, shit, this is like beyond just like kind of fandom. It was, you know, a collector's item. It was something that was like super coveted. Um, What year? What what time period was that? This was this was like mid to late 90s. I think it was like 96, 97 around okay. then that's around the same time that that was happening here in the states yeah and, and prior to that i'm not sure if you know the hot ticket item was starter jacket before that people would you mm. know literally get killed in the city of chicago mm. and i'm pretty sure new york and other urban markets for their starter jackets i can remember my cousin victor getting you know robbed for a san mm. francisco 49ers jacket you know that i had gotten in san francisco when i went to visit and they jumped out of a vehicle with a gun and they took the, the coat from them that's crazy. Yeah, like starter jackets. Yeah. Yeah. Gone from, yeah, just like clothing items, but there's obviously like a, a big meaning behind that, right? Like people just, you know, love the brand. There's obviously a lot of excitement. Um, and yeah, I feel like a lot of, I mean, sports marketing obviously was, you know, going on before then, but I feel like this was a new pivotal moment that just like absolutely exploded. Yeah. And you saw it, you know, like I, I mentioned the urban markets when you, when you mix in poverty with, aspirational things that Mm. marketers put in front of these young impressionable kids they want it just like the next man Mm. and they might not necessarily have the resources to get it so it's just like a dangerous combination yeah yeah um i want to talk more about you know growing up in chicago a little bit and then transitioning to kind of a career but first uh, i'm actually going to chicago in two weeks for a wedding okay uh i'm only there for a weekend one day is kind of filled with wedding stuff but i have like one and a half ish days to do stuff, what do you recommend I do uh, within like, you know, 24, 48 hours? Are you looking for cultural stuff? Are you looking for restaurants? Uh, a bit of both. Um, you know, I know, you know, obviously like the bean and, and such are, you know, yeah. you got to go check that out. But any, any maybe, yeah, maybe like one or two food spots that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of. I've been to Luminati's, uh, so I've been yeah. to Chicago once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I honestly don't know a lot about the city. What would you recommend? Okay, for another slice of pizza, since you've you've knocked out uh, Lou's, let's uh, let's take you to Giordano's. Giordano's? Yes, yeah, a classic pizza restaurant, deep dish or or thin crust, and it's exceptional. Just like one of those things. I actually, as a kid back in the late '80s, I used to pass out flyers for for Giordano's. Yeah. Back when I was a kid, yeah, we would you know, go door to door in groups, and they would. We'd have a um, a couple of blocks to do, and you literally walk down the block from like let's just say 76th Street to 80th, and then you would turn and come up the other side, and you mm-hmm. would hit every mailbox. Of that, yeah. And we, so was that kind of like your you know start to like you know marketing or like business or you know? I've been working since I was 13, man. Yeah. So I worked at the Chicago Tribune. I was a paper boy. Okay. And so yeah, yeah re- really quickly, take yeah. me through like from that era of being a paper boy and like you know doing a little hustle in the city of Chicago, you know, all the way up until um, you really started getting into like sports marketing and that world. Well, those early jobs, of course, you got Paperboy, you got, you know, uh, uh, flyer teams that we did in Chicago. And then I transitioned in high school and went to Foot Locker. So I got into marketing and Foot Locker, mainly, you know, Jordans. Jordans were out then. This was a hot thing. I worked at, you know, the top Foot Locker in the country at the time, which was Evergreen Plaza on the south side of Chicago. Like it would literally be, we would have a Jordan drop and I would just stand on the floor with the average male size, which was a size 10. And I would have like four boxes and I would just stand on, stand in the front of the store and people would just come, guys would just come in and purchase them the day of the drop. So like what? Foot Locker was like my first, you know, sort of stab at marketing and was seeing how, you know, consumer products, you know, really 
impacted folks on a big level. What, what did you learn at that stage, like being out front and like, you know, what were you doing to get people in there? You got customer service skills. You got to yeah. be personable. Mm -hmm. You got to smile. You got to, you know, just, and I don't know if you remember Foot Locker, if it was big in Brazil, but like if you had a Foot Locker job in the mall here in the United States, you were the man mm -hmm. or the woman at the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got the referee shirt on, you kind of walking through the mall, you got the yeah. fresh kicks on all the time and everyone in the food court's looking. Everybody wanted a discount, you know, everybody's trying to get in. Yeah. But yeah, it was, that, that was one of my, you know, that was one of my favorite jobs that I had as a youngster. So, and then where did you go from there uh, after Foot Locker? Foot Locker again in college. So okay. when I, when I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. my freshman year, I transferred from Foot Locker Evergreen Plaza to Foot Locker uh, South Lake Mall in, in Atlanta. And then it was too far away from campus. So I ended up transferring down to the Foot Locker at Underground Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what about after that? After that, I went to hospitality. Did you ever know that? No. Yeah. Worked at the Marriott. I worked at the front desk. I worked at the um, the Hyatt. I've had a thousand jobs, Chris. I worked at the Hyatt <laughs> Regency on um, on Peachtree Street as well. I worked in uh, guest services. Uh -huh. So all of this, to me, is in the same vein. Yeah. You know, when I was in college, you probably know about me being a reporter. So my junior and senior year, I was a reporter. So I would be down at City Hall. And if you're in the mayor, I'll be over at Turner Field interviewing John Glavin or, or John mm. Smoltz or mm. Greg Maddox. So, you know, I started getting those relationships and learning about talent at an early age because we had a legit press credential at Morehouse College via Clark Atlanta University. Shout out Clark Atlanta University's news center because we didn't have a, a mass communication department at Morehouse at the time. Spike mm. Lee, one of our famous alumni, he, he eventually got around to donating and, and you know, putting those services at the college. But at mm. the time, we had to cross-register and I was, you know, the only reporter at CAU News Center at the time. So, yeah, it's been a hospitality, you know, a uh, mixture. Of honestly, this makes a lot of sense to me because you are incredibly personable. Like, e even the first time I met you, you were just, like, Appreciate so that. good with people. And, like, you know, you give good eye contact. Like, you listen well. Um, and it makes sense, you know, being customer service, just, like, dealing with people, yep. you know, a lot in different, you know, facets, whether it's in hospitality or you know, full locker in your college or being a reporter. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so were you really into sports at that time too? Like, was that just like a passion? And then naturally you're like, you know, I have to go do something like around sports. Would you say that? I didn't. Well, that wasn't how it, it all started. So I'll go back to that, that junior and senior year. And I started getting relationships with the city, city of Atlanta mm. and with these sports organizations mm. And I just hit it off with a lot of athletes. Mm. And at the time, you know, I started my event marketing. I think you might have known Julie that. Presents. That's why I work well with. That's why I work well with Jessica Nguyen over at Beats because I knew about you know event marketing mm. when I came you know to the company. So, you know, and that that kept the same tradition going of like customer service because you know I was the the front of the business, so I would have to be the person. You know, if my ballers came, I had to make sure they had a table set up and you know we had some crystal champagne for them and then you know you want to take care of the ladies so you treat the ladies right you know because if ladies are in the door that's going to bring in everyone else so it was just like a natural progression man and it's uh you know that was a real special time for the city of atlanta as well i'm really proud that i was a part of the growth of that city a major part you know being on the nightlife and entertainment side and where it is today it's a, a direct result of me and you know Ludacris and jermaine dupree and T.I. and, you know, what, Jack and Did Ash. you ever, uh, <laughs> did you ever, you know, brush shoulders with Scooter when he was doing the stuff with Jermaine? And oh, I know, I, know Scooter, right? I, I know Scooter. Yeah, Scooter and I used to hang around when, you know, in our younger days. So Just, Scooter was over doing events at Emory and I was doing my events and mm -hmm. him and I went on a road trip together to the All-Star Game in Philly in like 2001, I think it was, or two. Yeah, so I've known Scooter. I've, I've seen him, you know, sort of, he had a plan from day one. Yeah. And he executed on his plan. Yeah. Everyone has an idea. We all have ideas. You're in a grocery store, you think about something. But it's all about the next step and execution. Scooter executed mm -hmm. as well as anyone I've ever seen, like like our former colleague, Karen Civil, executed. Mm -hmm. yep. She had a plan. She executed. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Scooter. Yeah. Good yeah. Guy. Yeah. I, I just, I feel like that was a special time in Atlanta because I heard those stories. Like I heard him, you know, throwing the parties at like college campuses and yep. you're involved. And I think this is a good transition actually because I want to talk about uh, you know, how you got into Beats, Beats by Dre. Mm -hmm. um, and just for some context for all the listeners and people watching out there. So I first met GW, uh, in one of my first jobs at Beats by Dre um, back in 2012. Shit, that's like 10 years ago. Time flies, man. Uh, time flies. And 
Uh, and I think you knew Omar, who was our uh, old CMO, chief marketing officer um, before that. So tell me about like how you kind of met him and how you got to, you know, Beats and that whole story. Yeah, Omar is a really good friend. I love, I love that brother. Um, him and I met, he was actually um, the marketing director for a clothing store. Mm. It was called uh, Oddity, and then they had a second store called Lucid. So they had mm -hmm. one near near uh, Lenox Mall, and they had one downtown Atlanta, right off North Avenue. So I met Omar when I used to go in and you know purchase you know some whatever the designer stuff was at the time. You know I would go in and try to you know get some nice clothing, and uh, they also made custom suits. So I would get like you know custom linen suits when I was going on the road to Bermuda, doing something out of the country. And Omar was the marketing director. He was always a sharp dressing guy, super cool from Brooklyn. And him and I just hit it off and we we became friends and we would go traveling together. We'd go to New York or we would go, you know, Jamaica, go on a, go, you know, on a little vacation to, you know, music festivals and things like that. And we remained close, you know, throughout the years. So mm -hmm. you kind of fast forward to 2011, um, you know, Omar's, you know, got the new job at Beats by Dre. I didn't know what the hell it was. You know, I'm thinking these big <laughs> headphones. The first thing I thought about were the people directing the planes in with the jumbo, <laughs> the jumbo headphones, you know. So he sent me a package out. You know, I was in Chicago at the time. I had a, a couple marketing clients. And he sent me this huge package out with like an HP Beats computer and, you know, a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of headphones. He even put some batteries in there so I wouldn't have to go to the store and get batteries. It was the first mm -hmm. generation Beat Studio. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of, you know, tried them on and checked it out. And he said, hey, well, you know, there's an opportunity for you out here in California if you want it. I don't want to move out to L.A. You know, I go to L.A. to visit, have a good time, get a Labor Day weekend mm -hmm. and turn up and have, a, you know, go back home. It was the best career move I've ever made was accepting <laughs> the job. Um, you know, it's yeah. funny. Quick side note. So, so I was intern at Interscope uh, while I was still in college at the time. And I was at the international marketing slash like PR department. And there's like A&R too. It's kind of all mixed in. But uh, there's a guy there, Jericho Adam. Shout out Jericho. Uh, he actually changed my life because I, I would go to him and he would travel the world and essentially do like PR with artists. And I was like, shit, I want that job. Like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, and it was Interscope, like, you know, the hottest label, I think like still to this day. And one day he like pulled me aside. He's like, listen, Jimmy Ivey and the CEO is like, you know, doing the speeds by Dre thing. It's like headphones. It's going to be like huge. And he's like, y you should try and like get over there. And I was like, no, nah, man, I want to do what you do. Like, I want to go, you know, I want to like work with artists. I don't want to do like headphones. And uh, and he's like, trust me, like you want to go over there. He, he literally pulled me aside three times. He didn't have to do this. Wow. He like pulled me in his office. He's like, Chris, like go do this. You would be really good. And I was like, okay, like, is it paid? You know, he's like, go do an internship. And he's like, no, I don't think it's paid. And I was like, are they doing international stuff? Because that's what I want to do. That's like my background. Yep. He's like, I don't think so. And I was like, that's not for me, man. And uh, anyways, he put me in touch with like Jessica and yep. he got the internship and it completely changed my life. Um, so think about how many friendships and everything that we've developed over the years. Everything, man. Yeah. And still to this day, you know, a decade later, I still like, you know, am in contact with a lot of these people. And it was really, you know, a tight knit family. We'll get into that. Yeah. I think a little bit more, but a little lesson here just for everyone like listening. Uh, sometimes like opportunities, they don't seem like, you know, they're great at, at you know, in front um, or if it's like or they might not seem worth it for you, but. Sometimes you just got to like give it a shot, you know, and when I went for the interviews with Tyler Williamson and uh, he was really smart and I just felt like there was a different energy there and just being in the office, I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of this, you know. Um, yeah. th did you have kind of a similar experience when you finally was like, okay, I'll, I'll go over and like start the job? And Well, I went to meet Omar in Indianapolis uh, for the Super Bowl. So that was like my introduction. So I talked to him six months prior, five to six months prior over the summer of 2011. Mm -hmm. You know, I was kind of going back and forth. And he said, hey, well, meet me out in Indianapolis. You know, I'll introduce you to some folks. Mm -hmm. You know, I went out to the Super Bowl. I met Mav Carter at the Super Bowl. Jimmy was there, a couple other folks. We had the million dollar headphones there. I was really blown away by those. I was like, this is crazy. This brand is really about to do something when I, mm -hmm. I saw that, the Graf million dollar headphones. Mm -hmm. So you fast forward probably a month later and I went to Orlando for an all-star game. And that's when I met Jessica and Erica Priestley and Tyler and the whole crew. Mm -hmm. And that's when I, I said, this is real. Mm -hmm. This is definitely real. 
And, you know, shout out Brittany Camisa and Olu Green, yeah, everybody yeah. from the squad. Just talked to Santo today. Mm. The former CFO of Beats, Scott Henry, is my new business partner. We've been business partners for about a little bit over a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. So just long-term relationships. And to your point, you just never know. You know, I've, you know, I felt secure in the you know, contract work I had in Chicago. And I almost missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, yeah, for me, like you just alluded to it. I felt like everyone there was incredibly smart and like really good at what they do. And just that level of talent was, uh, you know, most of the people came from their execs at Nike and came over, you know, to this startup. And yeah, that really kind of like perked my ears up and, you know, it's like, this is something that, you know, I want to be a part of, yeah. uh, quick side note here too. Uh, so I have this like little passion project. I started about a year ago. Uh, we do commission pieces, mostly people's life stories. And we did one for beats. Uh, actually, it's almost like a movie poster. I don't know if you've like seen it, but uh, I was like Dre and Jimmy and then Luke Wood, who's the president. And then a lot of like the talent, you know, we worked with there. Yeah, uh, I'll put it up kind of in post on the screen. But uh, that was like really fun to work on and um, just like such a nostalgic like thing to go through. Uh, How long did it take you to create it? Uh, probably like a couple months. I worked with another artist to put it together. Uh, it's mostly like kind of photoshopped in, but it's the arc of the story from bottom to top is like the first kind of like athletes or like talent that I did the campaigns for. And then all the way to like modern day. So any, anyway, just want to like shout that out. Um, is it a one of one? It's a one of one. one, of one. Um, yeah. mostly because I mean, I can't sell them cause like the beats logo is on there and there's like IP rights and such. Uh, I'd love to give it to them though. They put it in the office. But, um, one thing I wanted to bring up was one of the first things I remember about working at beats was i don't know if you remember this it was ghost skateboard day and we went to uh, here in la uh to downtown to pershing square no was it pershing somewhere around there and uh there's a bunch of skateboarders and we only had the lady gaga heartbeats and i think it was like me you peter olu peter yoon shout out peter yoon yeah. absolute legend shout out Brittany holt i talked to Brittany the other day she's over oh yeah Brittany now. holt as yeah. well shout out to her yeah uh, we went down there and i was like are these skateboarders even going to want like these like Lady Gaga headphones? And they went crazy for it. And I remember also meeting like one of the biggest legendary skateboarders uh, that I knew like growing up too there. And I was like, oh shit, this is like so cool. Do you remember that? Yeah. Remember and we were that just that. like tossing it I out. I could actually see us there. And I was about to allude to Donald Trump tossing it. The toilet tissue. I mean, the, <laughs> the paper. That's what it looked like because yeah. people were like, "Oh, I need that." I, I don't want to make light of that because that was a horrible situation. But for us, it was a you know, it was a special day. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that was you know again one of the first like you know activations or things we did. And I was like, okay, there's a huge demand for this. Like, if these skaters are like cool with you know getting, but I think that was the magic. A lot of the magic of Beats. It was like kind of that guerrilla marketing where it wasn't so much like you know top level like hey we're paying like a bunch of you know talent at least at that point it was it was was more from the ground up like we got involved in like communities we talked to like the skaters you know like guys what what headphones would you like like to wear you know when you're doing like these you know crazy sports you know what do you guys think about this and i thought that was like really cool and i think not how most brands approach kind of that type of marketing we grew up with a lot of influencers Mm-hmm. From when they were kids, Manny Santiago on the skating side, Chaz Ortiz on the skating side. Of course, our OG, he's just still a kid now, Nigel Houston. Yeah, Nigel. Yeah, so Nigel. So. You guys work together a lot. I yeah, remember. yeah, we still to today, we toss deals around. So um, bummed out that he got injured the other day, but he'll he'll bounce back soon. But yeah, we, you know, we grew up with talent. We didn't just go out and say, hey, this guy just won a Super Bowl. Let's get him. They were a part of our story and our narrative. But they were excited about the product and brand too. You know, a lot of brands, they'll just like write big checks and be like, hey, you need to do this, that, and the other. This was like, we spent time with them. We talked to them. We got to know them. Like we'd invite them to the office all the time or to events. And I think that made them feel really special and knew that we weren't just there for like a transaction or whatever. And honestly, we also, you know, we'd give them headphones as well. Um, And sometimes do like custom, like one of ones. But I think that approach is still like pretty rare these days, right? I think people just see on such a transactional level. And that was, I think, so special, like about beats, you know? Yeah. Um, And I remember like Omar, I was saying to like influence, you know, the influencer. It's also the people behind the scenes 
you know, like get to know the management, get to know like their families, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, that's, still, that's still the way I view marketing today on, on the sports marketing yeah. side. That's the way to do it. You can't just look at it as a word I like to use all the time. Like you said, it was transactional. I'm totally against transactional plays. Like that's not the way to go. No. Yeah. You can't create value. You can't create real value that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to tell young marketers, don't become the brand. Don't lose yourself. Don't say I'm Ronnie 2K. Don't say I'm, I'm Mario from Nike or whoever, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be the person that's at the same time consciously thinking about building your brand mm-hmm. while you're working for a company. Because ultimately, you know, everyone has that entrepreneurial spirit spirit, and they want to start something. So, I, you know, coming into Beats, I was who I was already. I was already a name and I was, you know, I'd already done, you know, significant things on the influencer athlete space. So when I came there, I was like, hey, let's help, you know, take this one to the moon. And then you never know. We'll see what happens from there. And then you, you know, you don't, you move on to the next one. That's a really good point. Cause I remember like Neymar was one of the biggest kind of accounts or, or athletes I worked with. And we kept, kept on thinking, what's like important to him? What does he love? And we would kind of meet him on that level. So we knew like, for example, he loved his son. And later, like, you know, we found out he would like write his son's name in a shin pad and put it on before he went on a game. And, you know, when we'd bring things like that up to like him and his team, he'd be like, oh, shit, you guys like noticed that? Like, and so meeting them with where they're at, like knowing what their brand is, what's important to them, you know, versus again, just like going to them them with the script. Yeah. Yeah. You said that's not cool. It has to be a partnership. I want to ask you about the craziest story at your time at Beats that you're legally allowed to talk about, because I think in the early days, uh, it was a little bit of the Wild West, and it was really, really fun. But I, I think as the organization grew, and especially after the Apple acquisition, you know, we had to, you know, tighten up a little bit. Yeah. Let's hear some fun stories <laughs> about your time there, or at least one that, like, pops in your head. Um, I'll just talk about a budgetary story. I, I remember going to New York for uh, NBA draft, and I got approved for a $30,000 you know, talent budget just for entertaining purposes. And to this day, the towel group still loves me <laughs> because they thought that that was GW's budget. And they, you know, not, of course, I'm pretty sure they knew it was tied to the brand because we did an event at, at one of their, their properties there in New York. But yeah, I can remember that, you know, and I'm to this day, I'm a firm believer in you have to spend money to make money. Mm. Like you can't be, everything doesn't have to necessarily, and I understand startups, right? Startups that might not, that might be cash strapped and haven't raised any, you know, fund any, any capital yet, but you have to spend money to to make money. You have to pour, if the fire is going, pour some more, pour some more gasoline on it. Mm -hmm. And I think it it, it indicates, took notice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it indicates to them too. Like they're like, you know, Beats or, you know, GW are willing to like invest in us and, you know, bring this talent here. And I think that's a good kind of start to any relationship is knowing that, Hey, you know, we're not like skimping on budgets. We're not just trying to come in and do like the minimal thing possible. It's like, you know, we're here and want to do something. Did you, uh, did you do the marquee event in Vegas? Uh, for beats? I remember Santo is like heading with, that up. um, Rick Ross. Um, or was it Kendrick had all the Lamar? beach balls? Um, yeah, I did. Well, I, I had just sports influencers. I had a, just a section for sports influencers. Yeah, yeah. I was there for that. I remember it because Jason of Beverly Hills made me a little beats necklace. It had a B on it. It had diamonds in it. I wore oh, it that nice. night and I still have a picture of that. From that <laughs> night. That's why I remember that in Vegas. Well, yeah. The reason I bring that up is, uh, so yeah, I think that was like probably one of their most successful like events ever, like for a marquee and especially in terms of like revenue from what I heard. That was during CES. If I'm, I'm a, I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah, it was some, I mean, we did a ton of after parties, but I think, yeah, that was the, the CS one. Um, and I remember, yeah, the, one of the head bouncers, like Todd, shout out Todd, um, for years, even when I went back, he put me straight in front of the line. I, I could bring whoever he got me like tables. Um, and yeah, we were kind of like, just like, you know, friends for, for life because of that. And so I think in a similar vein, it's like you do those things and you connect with those people. The partners of the, give the, the value, group, the and, Hollywood group, Brian Toll, like to the, to this day from, you know, Serena and Cam Newton and shout out my homeboy, uh, Colin Kaepernick, like just all of those days of us bringing talent in, having a good time, mm-hmm. being respectful, spending money, 
those relationships, like I'm probably going to reach out to Andrew, to Goldie from the Tower Group because I'm heading to London and I need a table at Hakkasan. <laughs> so it's the same thing. Yeah. There you go. I want to shift gears a little bit uh, and maybe get a little bit more personal if you're down. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of this podcast is about kind of self-development and being the best version of yourself, kind of, you know, leveling up. Uh, just tell me a little bit about that, you know, um, whether you are at Beats or maybe a bit before that. Do you remember any moments where you just really felt like maybe stuck or that you really needed to level up? Um and if so, like, how did you end up doing that? Like, how did you end up kind of like evolving? Um, well, I had to go to therapy. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell me a little would, bit about that. I would tell lies for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to appease people or to not want to hurt their feelings. Um, and I had to get around that. Mm. And what I learned in therapy was, you know, you always have to tell the truth. So there's different levels of the truth. So if I'm in the grocery store, so say my uncle passed yesterday and I'm in the grocery store and it's a person I don't know. We bump carts and, you know, the woman's like, oh, you're looking a little down, you know, hope everything is OK. Don't lie like I used to and say, oh, everything's all good. Fireworks. No, just say, no, I'm a little bit down, but thanks for asking. Have a great day. Mm-hmm. Then there's a second level. There's friends and, and, and colleagues and coworkers. You, you give them a little bit more information. You know, we had something that went on in the family. You know, it's just, it's really not my day today. And then there's your family and you really express and, and tell how you feel. I'm guilty over the course of my life of, you know, not wanting to let people down and, you know, just making it seem like at all times, everything is all right. It's not true. Mm-hmm. We all go through things. So I had to realize that. And I realized it through, through therapy. I mm-hmm. had to go, you know, six months once a week and i did it you know and you know it was a personal choice and i had to get through that you know amongst the you know a couple other things that you know about you know maybe a little bit out of controlness you know during nightlife situations mm-hmm. so yeah appreciate you sharing yeah. that yeah definitely. was there was there like a a specific like moment that you're like i need to kind of like figure this out um, I can I can point to it. I was in um, I was at All Star Game maybe 2013 mm-hmm. in New Orleans, and I kind of let down a couple colleagues during our our gifting suite mm. because I got a little ahead of myself and was you know drinking during our activation, mm. and I let them down. I let myself down, and it was embarrassing. So you know I had to take a, take accountability. Yeah, and that's. You know, that's one of the, one of the toughest moments of my life. I had to, you know, go through that because people were, you know, people were kind of like, damn, you know, what the fuck's wrong with GW? Mm. Tell them to calm down. Mm-hmm. I had to step back, take stock and, you know, get back on track. Mm. Yep. I think that's an important thing. Yeah. I want to put out there. Like, I think, I think over the past couple of years, it's been less like stigmatized, but even just like the idea of going to therapy and honestly, just like asking for help or just. Being like, hey, I need a something needs to change. Like it doesn't feel right, or like I'm letting people down. Um, it's it's totally like fine to go and like ask for that help, or you know, seek therapy, or just you know, a lot of people I think keep it in, or Can't do uh, or worried about what other people think as well. Especially if you're like a public figure or someone you know in power or anything like that. So just want to put that out there. Um, you, know, I, you I, have been, to let it out. You have to let it out. Uh, you'll not only feel better, but I think you'll get, gain a lot of clarity too. Um, and did you feel like you, you know, once you went through those six months of therapy and kind of worked on yourself, you really, you know, became the most like, or started to become more authentic to like who you really are? And, I think the work started to, yeah. because it's still a work in progress. Sure. Yeah, you know, every day you have to consciously think that when I leave the when I leave this house today, I want to become a better version of myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to learn something new today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't know everything, mm-hmm. and I'm still gonna keep a smile on my face, and I'm still gonna you know uplift people. But if there if I am going through something, I'm not gonna lie about it like I used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, so what are you doing now these days to kind of you know keep on that path for you know I see you got like the the juice here and yep. oh, sorry. Um, no you're doing yeah you're uh you know staying healthy and i think you always have but um also the, i don't know mentally um maybe spiritually whatever what, what are you kind of doing these days to kind of keep that up because 
you know, this isn't like a one and done thing, you know, yeah. right. You can't go six month therapy and be like, all right, I'm good. Like, let's go. Yeah. Um, you I'll know, take, it's an ongoing thing. So tell yeah, me that. it's an ongoing thing. And like, like you said, uh, just, you know, staying healthy, be very cognizant of what I eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been, like you said, since I was a kid, I've, I've been in the YMCA or some level of, I do something every single day, mm. whether it's just walk for two miles, you know, down fountain, back up sunset. But I think um, the most important thing is it's not like I didn't in the past, but I am taking I'm, I'm loving myself more. Mm. I'm, me first. Mm-hmm. I have to take care of myself before I'm able to take care of other people, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that means. Right. Or help other people. So, yeah, that's that's a big part of what I focus on. I get my rest. I eat healthy. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I take care of myself. And that's through medica- meditation, that's through yoga. I do a lot of little different things mm. each and every day, like each and every day. There's not a day like I'm whether it's just a plank or two mm. minute plank just to clear my mind a little bit and just stabilize for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, that's I'm a firm believer in loving yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I feel like exercise, especially too, like science proves it again and again, it just helps your mental health. And like, even when you're having like a shitty day or you just don't want to do something like I'll go to the gym or I'll just, I don't know, jump around for like 10 minutes, like, you know, shoot basketball, like go on a jog with my dog, whatever. Yeah. Even in just 10 minutes of that, I come back and like, damn, I feel like a lot better. And, uh, you know, and I think that's something that's really hard for a lot of people to like get up and go do that. But once you do it, I almost always feel infinitely better at the end. And then I just try and like, your meal remember that, better, everything. I try and remember that feeling too, right at the end. I'm like, shit, this feels like really good. So remember this when you like, don't want to get up and you don't want to, you know, exercise or cold showers too. something I've like done for the past few months. It just like kind of shocks my body a little bit and like wakes me up. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really good point. Like, you know, for anyone out there who's maybe going through a slump or, you know, once you gain a little bit of clarity or, you know, it's in a tough spot, like just, just like get up and, you know, go move your body around and like be move active. Move your body around. Don't turn to substances. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm at the age now where a lot of my 25, you're 25. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, right. um, definitely not 32. <laughs> um, where a lot of my friends, you know, I have kids now and, uh, you know, you've been a father from bit uh you're just in new york right with your son yeah i saw how was that we had a good time yeah we just wanted to get away for uh, uh a nice weekend before school started back up so he's he's back in philadelphia now shout out gabriel doing an amazing job in college i just found out the other day that he's for some reason i don't understand how this happened but you know kudos to him he's 86 percent done with his degree already and he's just going into his junior year damn at upenn so that's a good school and too. playing football at the same time. So, yeah. So shout out Gabriel. Yeah, Gabriel's killing it. But yeah, we got away for a weekend. I wanted him to see some of my old school hip hop. Mm. So LL Cool J was having a, a festival in Queens called Rock the Bells. And so some of the OGs came out like, you know, Buster Rhymes, Little Kim and uh, LL performed. He did an amazing job. Looked good. Looked healthy. Looking sh- looked in shape. Mm. And then we went to the theater. We went to go see. I don't know if you've ever seen Book of Mormon, but it's a, yeah, it's hilarious. It's so good. It's hilarious. And just you know, got some good food and you know, Central Park. Went around the city and had a good time. I love that. Yep. Um, tell me a little bit about you know just being a father and how that's like changed you. You know, kind of on a similar wavelength of self development. Something that a lot of my friends have told me is just like how drastically the life has changed. Mostly for the better, yeah, just like absolutely. perspective, realizing things. Um, tell me a little bit about that for you, like when you first had your son and as he kind of grew up, uh, how did that change you? Well, it becomes not about you anymore, just mm. so, solely about you. Mm. You know, you know, you have a, you just you brought a, a life into the world. And, you know, Gabriel was, I, from what I've heard from other parents, I... I didn't go through terrible twos and terrible threes and Crayola's on the wall and crying on a, on a flight or anything like that. Mm. I have yet to have any, like any issues. Mm. And he's now 20 years old, mm. not one issue from zero to 20. And I'm being completely honest. Wow. I've, I've never argued with Gabriel. Um, just, I don't know where, you know, it's almost like I broke the mold. I don't want to have any more children, but yeah. Uh, being a father is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. I don't know. It's, yeah, hands down. It's the best experience. Um, 
he's a, an amazing child, you know, amazing young man now, about to be 21 years old. And it's just been a really special ride. I'm just glad that I'm still cool because, you know, you're 15 <laughs> and 16 years old, their friends become cool and they don't want to hang out with you. But Gabriel went with me for New Year's on a vacation and he still wants to go on trips with me. Yeah, you, you guys seem like honestly like good friends. You yeah. know, like when I see like the footage on Instagram and stuff, you guys are just hanging out. Like your buddies just like patrolling the city, and uh, and I love that you can like feel that. Um, yeah. Analogy that I think is like you know used a lot, but I think it's very true is like the oxygen mask for airplanes, where it's like you got to put on yourself first, you know, and then. So I feel like you've kind of described a version of that where it's like you know you know, body, whether it's working out, like doing meditations, going to therapy, being the best version of yourself. Yep. Um, so you can take care of like those around you. Exactly. Um, and that's what I try to show Gabriel, you know, you know, that I am still consciously taking care of myself. Last time I checked, mm -hmm. unless something, unless someone gets out of a casket tomorrow, we only have one life, one chance. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you have to take care of yourself fully. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important because uh, a lot of parents, I think, will try and tell their kids, you know, what to do, what not to do. But really, kids are smart. They will see what you're doing, you know, and that's what they're going to stick to. So if you're not walking the walk, like, they'll know that. And I think they'll grow They'll call up. bullshit. Yeah, they'll call bullshit yeah. or they'll say, like, certain things and not really mean it because, you know, may, you know, the parents have done that. Yeah. So uh, it seems like, you know because you really walk the walk and, you know, you try to take care of yourself and, you know, good communication with your, your, your son and taking care of him, uh, has honestly very likely been probably the main reason why he is like such a and his good, mom, his mom as well. the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I have my, you know, my vice, I, I drink occasionally, but I, I talked to him about it. He still hasn't, you know, he's asked me, so what is it like? And, you know, if you're at a party, does it make you feel looser? Does it make you he doesn't drink at all? 20 years old, mm. two, four years of high school and two years of college and still hasn't yeah, done anything. I feel like uh, this generation is a little bit different. Um, not everyone, but I do see like kind of a subset, like super into, you know, the, maybe some of the pill drugs and like Xannies and all that. But I also see a lot of kids, uh, you know, in Gen Z just like really conscious about like health and you know, not drinking. Well, they have more information than we had. Well, than I had. You're younger than me. Mm -hmm. But back in the days, I would have to go find that information in an encyclopedia or go to the yeah. library and go fucking through the Dewey Decimal System or whatever it was back then. But now, any question that comes to mind, hey, Siri, hey, Google, what does it mean when my head hurts when I drink a beer or whatever? <laughs> yeah. And it immediately pops up. So they have so much information. <laughs> Thanks, Siri. Sorry. <laughs> Siri. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, hold on. There's something on my computer. <laughs> Sorry, quick technical update. Um, no, no problem. But that was classic. That's such a blooper. <laughs> classic first episode. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's important because you're right. Like, and especially even as I've gotten older, it's like, like what is alcohol? You know? And it's like now I'm like, it's literally like you're just poisoning your body each time. If I call Gabriel right now, he'll tell you I just said that last night. Yeah, that's what it is, though. And I just the reason you're feeling night. like you know, slight, it's because you're you're point, and then you have like the hangovers, which as you get older, they do get worse. Brutal, brutal. Um, even if you haven't had that, like we were talking about Marshawn Lynch and the Atlanta Braves player, within a ten day period, they both got DUIs. Mm. And one tried to get out of it with the police officer, and you saw the Marshawn clip. It mm. was oh god, I felt so bad for that man, but he did it. Yeah. So that's how we got into the conversation about athletes. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we were talking about. It. I was like, yeah, I do it, and I know, you know, it's poison, and that's why over the last five years, you can look at my calendar now. It's in here. It shows how many drinks I've had this year. Oh, you keep track. And I keep track. If you I and I that. go out and I have more than two drinks, if I have two beers, drink twenty-two, Chris, mm. and it's in my calendar. I love that. Yeah, I, I've like I've just naturally I think um, like the, the more I have instances where I'm like you know maybe a little hungover, and yep. I, I I actually now I I barely drink. I'll have like maybe one a week, like if that. Yep. Um, but I just don't feel like drinking anymore. Yeah. I just like after a while you're like, wait, I feel really good, you know. And also, uh, you know, I've been working out a little bit more and trying to be healthy. 
and it just it just feels like great i don't know and and i think that just you know i i do i have this bar cart here that's full but that's yep. because i don't really drink it like my guests it's maybe just sitting there yeah um i have about a casamigos in in that i bought last summer mm-hmm. i still have this much left uh oh so that champagne up there the aces fit that was omari gave that oh really in 2014 when we closed the neymar deal and i still have it still got <laughs> um, it um but also that that's like a nostalgic thing too yeah but um Speaking of like drinking a little bit, uh, one thing we've done over the years is play poker together. Oh um, man, I can't wait for poker night. I know again. we had to kind of like take yeah. a little break because of COVID and all that. But uh, do you still play like a lot? Like, what's I haven't played in a while. Our last game was the last time I played. I, I, oh, play, really? I play online. You know, I have a group now that they have some app where we all log in and we play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but outside of that, I haven't played. We definitely need to get an official poker game for the folks that are still in the Los Angeles area. Yeah. We need to get that stat. Like, literally, like right after Labor Day, before it gets, if you want to, we can put, put one together. No, let's do it. I would love to do it because that used to be so much fun. It man. was fun. And I would like, God. you know, whenever we brought guests, you know, I, I think we, you know, we know the vibe. So, but whenever we brought guests, it would, I, I would meet like really dope people and we yeah. would like, you know, connect and that would form like other relationships. Also, it's, it's just a good way to like, you know, talk about, you know, beats and just like catch up with everyone. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely encourage, you know, people to like do those kind of type, whatever it is, you know, pickleball or yep. whatever, just like get together, you know, every put it in the calendar. Yeah. Um, all right, GW, I want to talk about your latest venture, Locker Room Agency. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, tell me about that. When did that start? How did you start that? Well, I started in, well, thinking about putting it together. Let me look, let me think of the timeline. Probably about 2017. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm, you know, I'm going to put together an agency that sort of plays the middle ground between talent and their representatives and brands Mm -hmm. and i can bring ideas both ways and i don't need to necessarily represent anyone on this side and on this side i don't need to be Mm full-time so we sort of play the middle ground between brands and 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 talent yeah tell me and we launched into launched right before covid in um the end of 2019 early 2020 with a good friend of mine, Olu Green, but unfortunately Olu had to back out because his wife was diagnosed with uh, cancer, a tumor. So he had to go get a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And the, the first offer he got, he had to take it. It was from an agency, it was PMK. And we knew everyone at PMK. Mm-hmm. So Olu had to back out and I've been moving full steam ahead by myself ever since then. And Olu's more than welcome to come back whenever. We talk about it all the time. If anything happens and he you know needs to get back, he's, because he put a lot of sweat you know, blood, sweat, and tears into, you know, help get it, get it up and running. And then he had to pull out. I'm talking the week that we launched. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out Olu. He was actually the very first person I like talked to at BT, like sat right across from me and was just like so cool and yep. made me feel at home. Um, and yeah, just a good dude. So uh, yeah, I hope, and you guys together were like the sports marketing, like powerhouse at beats. Yeah. I remember it was, it was like you guys doing everything. I feel like you guys complement each other well too, because you're so good with people. You like manage a talent. Olu was kind of more strategic. That's and, correct. Yeah. And it just, yeah, I remember seeing you guys like work magic uh, there. So that's really cool. Tell me about some of the like campaigns you've done recently with Locker Room. Um, um, well, we worked on something with HP on their Omen collection. It was called the Video Game Game Show, uh, where we booked talent for. Um, for this uh, online game gaming competition that they have, so we put some football players and some some entertainment talent uh, towards that for two consecutive uh, episodes. They did it, I think, three months apart. So we a really cool campaign. It came together well. The talent mixture that we put together for was was kick ass, and everybody you know got along. And most recently, uh, my number one client is Liquid Death Mountain Water. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, I've been working with Liquid Death. We've uh, um, for probably a little bit over a year and a half now. And we just dropped the campaign called the Hydration Assistant, the Water Boy Combine. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing, you know, what other brands are doing, like we used to do at Beats and get a player, we went and got the unsung heroes, the guys who actually bring the water out. And mm-hmm. we had a Water Boy Combine and a set of a competition to see who was the top Water Boy in America. And we had ten mm-hmm. contestants across college sports and professional uh, NFL teams, and they battled it out here in LA for the title of top hydration assistant. And the winner got $100,000. Oh, shit. Yeah, got $100,000 contract bad. with Liquid Death. 
and it was um, uh, Travis from the Indianapolis Colts. Mm. So it was a, it was an amazing campaign. Everybody loved it. Got tons of press, and you know I'm glad Ad Week and all the other um, PR uh, recognized locker room. They put mm. us in on every article at the bottom as the recruitment agency. So really proud of that one. You know, to see Congrats. that full circle because we've been working really hard with Liquid Death. They're a good brand. I um, remember seeing them like on the shelves and their, you know, packaging and branding like definitely stood out. You know, it's like murder your thirst and it's like, you know, this crazy yeah. skulls. And I was like, what the hell is this? Um, Every, everyone thought it was either energy drink or a beer. And, yeah. and, you know, people thought it was, you know, it was a joke at first. And now it was literally the joke is on them because the company's valued at like a little bit north of 500 million right now and it's um wall street journal just wrote, uh, did a write-up saying is is water the new beer because mm. of liquid death mm. yeah and especially like shelf space you know is like so hard to grab people's like attention and it's a brutally competitive yeah. kind of space so i think just having that insight you know from the jump to like really catch people's eyes and then taking on this like journey and yeah no one's done it like them like you're right it kind of feels like an energy drink but uh, yeah, no, it's hydration. It's like water. And yeah. I saw also on, on Instagram, uh, you shout out Fanbase app yeah. a lot. Tell me a little bit about that. What, what are they about? So Fanbase is an app founded by Isaac Hayes. Um, uh, his father's a music industry legend. Mm. So he's Isaac Hayes III. Um, they're headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. And the, the app is a way for all influencers everyone you're an influencer i'm an influencer you're an influencer to monetize your content mm. so it's the same it's the same interface it's like instagram TikTok, twitter all blended into one but the, the the key is you can put content behind paywalls and on instagram it feels good when when you get a like right you can use like oh shit 100 people like this but on fan base those likes equal money mm. so people buy they buy love packages they're called love so when you buy a love package, any content that you see that you really love, you can pay the content creator by just tapping on the on the, the love button. Mm. So it's really a unique unique app. It's well thought out, well put together. The back end is you know seamless and scaling like crazy right now. Mm. Over two hundred seventy thousand active users right now, mm. and position themselves to for Series A. So I you know I advise uh, for uh, fan base. So it's like a PG OnlyFans kind of. Basically, that's exactly <laughs> what it is because there's no no nudity behind the paywalls. Yeah. So it's just exactly right. That's exactly what we say. I, I love the idea though of like even just doing like the simple action of like a heart or like a like, you know, equals. I think, uh, so I have, I have a good friend. He's not at TikTok anymore, but when, when he worked there, one of the things that he worked on on the product end was uh you know giving like the gifts that you do now and like yeah. you buy or like you buy the tokens and then you buy like the different types of gifts and then when they go live you can just like give the gift but it's really giving them the money right yep um so i think yeah that's something that it's kind of becoming more and more you know popular and it sounds like fan base is like really ahead of that yeah fan base at, at the at the forefront is interesting <laughs> we have a deck that shows every new product launch that they've that they've done TikTok or instagram is kind of right after announce something similar mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i just want to say that it, it is a free app you can you can migrate all of your you can so your instagram page you can click one button in fan base and it migrates all the pictures over oh, cool. because we did have a lot of people that were scared oh man i got to start over from yeah, scratch. Yeah, yeah no you migrate it over and that same content that you posted for free on instagram when you put it on fan base when people start following you when they click it you make money that's smart smart i like that yeah. uh shout out fan base you know i'll check that out yeah. um and for everyone listening out there, you should too. Uh, tell me a little bit about like the challenge of growing an agency. You know, I have uh, also kind of a marketing. I don't like to call an agency it's like consultancy because it is pretty much me. But I do have like a small team that I tap into depending on like the size of the project and the client. Um, but man, it's it's hard as hell running a business like by yourself like yeah. this. Um, just learning about like, you know, taxes and legal stuff and accounting and like HR and all of that. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about just like growing your, you know, the locker room agency and maybe some of the, like the challenges you've had. Put, get, put good people in place. Mm. You know what you don't know, right? Mm. So all the things that you uh, you described there, you talked about as like sort of pain points, uh, put, put the right people in place to handle that for you. 
You so don't don't, that's what I that's what I've done every step of the way. I have you know a, a great uh, accounting firm that I use. My legal team has worked mm. with me, uh, lock and step since my beats days. Mm. So and they know exactly how I operate. They they know that if you know if it's a startup, and they might not necessarily be capitalized, mm. let's get a little equity. If I'm gonna help you build this, let's get some equity you know, mm. for locker room agency to start off, and we might you know just get a lower monthly retainer or go project by project, but we want a little skin in the game if we're going to help you build this because guarantee we are going to help you build it. Mm -hmm. We're going to get it in front of the right business partners, the right talent to help you scale the business. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've been fortunate because the majority of my business has been inbound. People have reached out. Mm -hmm. Like I, I hate to say it because no one wants to turn any money down, but if I don't have the bandwidth, I'll respectfully say I can't help you at this time. Yeah. I've had to turn down a couple apps and, you know, startups over like the last two to three years because I knew I couldn't properly help them and I don't want to be disingenuous and not be able to, you know, hit on all the things that I, you know, say in a proposal and in a scope. So I just don't mm -hmm. take the work. That's smart. Yeah. And then, and you, and you stay, you know, essentially focused on what you're best at, um, you know, do what you do best and outsource the rest or delegate the rest. Yeah. And I'll introduce to, to someone that I feel just today, I, you know, put someone on email and said, Hey, I think this person would be right to help you guys. I would, you know, that six month, project that you need because mm -hmm. i knew that you know i just don't have the time yeah i think a lot of this goes back to like relationships too just you over the years just like being good with people being personable like you know again that's something i've always noticed about you just like you really engage with people and um i found that to be true you know a lot especially recently just like there's certain situations or things and i can almost immediately think of like someone who i'm like this person is perfect for that and it's just a really beautiful thing, you know, versus yeah. some people who like to like hoard everything in or not share, you know, You'll what they're never doing win that way. You don't. Yeah. You, you have to, it's almost like the opposite of what you think. Like, you know, when you have an idea or you're building something or creating something instead of just like, you know, keeping it in and like, oh, people are going to steal my idea or, you know, no, you know, the people work for me or only for me, like you, you need to collaborate instead of like compete. Right. That's the secret sauce. Just today alone. We, we keep going back to our Beats Army days and our Beats family days. Mm -hmm. Just today alone, one email for a Beats person and someone from that used to work at Beats is sending me uh, like just a, a, a proposal, quick mm. proposal, but the work is already hers. I just said, just put it on paper. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, what's your vision for Locker Room in the future? Like, where do you want to take it, you know, let's say five, 10 years from now, or um, or is there kind of like, Maybe an exit strategy, like no exit strategy, day to day. I just, just love kind it. of gone. Yeah, with the flow. I just love it. Yeah, someone asked me, "Oh, what if CAA comes over and says they want to snatch up GW's locker room agency?" I doubt if I do it. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm, cool. It's growing. I, we have clients. Um, I just want to build it to be the best that it could be. Like it's it's one of those things where it's in the sports marketing industry. Everyone knows us. They know mm -hmm. us. I know they do. There might be, you know, a, a few agencies that might not know us or, or some verticals inside sports that maybe hockey that might not necessarily know who we are, but people know us. They know we do good work and they know first and foremost that we're not in a talent representation game. Mm -hmm. So they know we're not trying to sell their clients. And there's been a lot of that in the industry for so long. And, you know, we're not into that. So I think mean, that's a testament to you as well, though. You've no matter where you are, whether it's at Beats and I saw you, you know, Magic Leap with yeah. Scott yep. for a bit. And I think did something with MeUndies as well. Mm -hmm. um, but no matter where you go, like those relationships go with you because it's not just like, you know, about like the brand. It's it's about the relationship with you. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because it's true. Mm -hmm. And I, I know someone that that's happened to where when the budget's dried up and they weren't they weren't with the sexy brand any longer. Yeah. The phone calls. Stopped, I know a lot of people like in. that. Mm -hmm. And I talked to a, an NBA player about that. I won't mention his name, but he asked me that specifically. And I was wondering why he was asking me that. He said, are, are people still picking up the phone now that you're not with uh, Beats anymore? I was like, absolutely. I know a couple of people that, that kind of fell to the side. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. But I just knew how to categorize them mm -hmm. from there on. And he was like, yeah, man. When I wasn't playing with LeBron anymore, when I went on the road, nobody was calling. Mm -hmm. So that's what he equated it to. Him and LeBron, me and Beats. So I think I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was like, the phone call stopped coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you've worked with like a lot of athletes. Mm -hmm. um, 
Can you give any like stories about maybe some memorable, uh, whether it was at Beats or any of the other kind of brands you work with or locker room agency, just like maybe an activation that really stood out to you or something you did that was like, oh shit, this was like really cool. Um, the Hear What You Want campaign mm. with Colin and with Richard mm. and with Vaughn Miller. And Describe the campaign really quick. I mean, I know the campaign, but for people at home who- Yeah, the Hear What You Want campaign was about, you know, blocking out negativity, uh, preparedness and staying focused and utilizing our beats headphones our studio headphone to kind of cancel out the noise the haters and you know people that might want to see your downfall but one of the most special parts of that campaign was a timeliness uh, whether it was coincidence <laughs> or an accident or not especially with you know richard sherman yeah can you touch on that you know what i'm talking about yeah so we um we dropped the commercial I want to say it was a 2014 NFC Championship game. Uh, we had Colin Kaepernick on one side, quarterback of San Francisco 49ers, and we had Richard Sherman, uh, quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And we the, the Colin Ka uh, Kaepernick commercial had already been running for about two months, mm -hmm. and we were just dropping the Richard uh, commercial uh, in the third quarter of that game. So it was like a big thing for Beats. So me, Jimmy Iovine, Omar, Dr. Dre – uh, Luke Woods, Ian, we all went out to the game and, you know, kind of we were on the field pregame and, you know, Fox Sports gave us a big shout out. They played the Owl Black commercial. I don't know if you remember all of that. Oh, yeah, of course. They played all of that. We were walking on the field, but man, we were there for the, the entire man, game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the game came down to the final play. And it was Colin Kaepernick trying to throw at the Crabtree in the back of the end zone. So we had our bets hedged. If it made it over to Crabtree and he scored a touchdown, we win because we had Kaepernick. Richard Sherman knocked the pass down, so we still won because we had Richard Sherman. And they went to the Super Bowl. And then afterwards, he had this explosive interview with Aaron. Is it Aaron Andrews? What was her name? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he, you know, was screaming and going crazy. It's, you know. And it, it fit right into what the commercial was. And people were like, how did they know that? Because we had just dropped the commercial. So it was like the craziest timing for marketing and for us. And it just all worked out. I don't think like most people understand how rare and unique that is. Because we like to develop a campaign like that, put the commercial together, like launch it. Um, I remember Omar would always say like, you know, let's move at the speed of culture. Yep. But us... Or, you know, the Beats team doing all of that before and then having that moment and then the commercials like ready right when that happened. And then the post interview where it's like he got a lot of attention from that. Yeah. It's just like crazy. It was crazy. It was the perfect storm. And you should have seen the, the plane ride back to L.A. with Jimmy and Dre and everybody going crazy. It was just like the energy was, what are we doing next? What are we going to do now? GW, come on, fuck, you're the man on this. Tell us what. And Omar just sat back and I had to talk to Jimmy and Dre. It was it was a it was a special time, and you know, like you know, I would love to hit on a marketing moment like that again. I haven't been a part of anything like that in a while, but you know, yeah. that's one of those ones for the books. Yeah, that was special for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um. So I saw you're uh, an advisory council member to the MLK Community Health Foundation. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um. You know how it came about and what exactly you do on the council. Well, it's a it's a collective of individuals from uh, all all different walks of life. Um, that help out, that have, <clears throat> excuse me, that advise the uh, the board over at MLK Community uh, Health, Community Hospital and, and Community Foundation. Mm -hmm. So we advise on, you know, they'll come to us and say, hey, we're thinking about this in, in you know, this diabetes program, or we're thinking about this for the COVID vaccinations. What do you guys think about it? What ways can you all support? Mm. So we, we're advisory council for the MLK Community Health Hospital. It's, a, it's an amazing program. Like, you know, I take people over for tours of the facility. I don't know if you've ever been over, but it's like a first class hospital in the middle of South Los Angeles. Mm. The hospital, you know, used to be known for, you know, people dying there. It was King King Medical Center, mm. and I even heard about it before I moved to LA back in old rap songs with Ice Cube and Eazy E. Mm. And now it's like a beacon of hope in South Los Angeles. A beautiful facility. Mm. Yeah, I love that, and I love how. How long have you been in LA for now? Uh, since 2012. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's so ten years now. Um, yeah. and you know, it seems like wherever you are, whether it's in Chicago, ATL, out here in LA, you're involved in the community, right? Yeah, absolutely, you have to be. And, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. So when I do retire, I'm, you know, that's why you heard me talking about the home in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I'm going to move back and be an old, you know, high school teacher and try to do, you know, teach kids, yeah. you know, about, you know, everything that I've learned throughout the course of my career, because I don't want to be the person that leaves and just moves in Beverly Hills and never goes back. 
and you know talk shit from your high horse. Mm-hmm. I want to go back and try to affect change. I love that. Yep. How can people support you know the foundation? You know where where can they check them out? MLK Community Hospitals. You can just pull them up on online. They, you, you can help by donating time or money or resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have projects coming up. We'll have a dream show in Jan- in January of next year. Um, I can provide information on that if you you want to share to your community. But yeah, we yeah. have a big big uh, big show coming up in in uh, January of next year. And people can go and like volunteer and help with absolutely cool. I'll I'll put a link in the you know comments or in the bio or so, and you guys can check that out and support. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I think that is a really good initiative, especially being out here in like downtown. You know, I'm not too far from like Skid Row, and yeah. um, you know, I've done some stuff with like Union Rescue Mission. But I think there's a lot we can do that doesn't take like a lot of you know whether it's a small donation or just taking like a couple hours, you know, if you're a Saturday to to go volunteer. So yeah, um, I love that you're doing that. Um, all right, guys. So wrapping things up here, uh, I do have kind of one last thing for you. Uh, little gift. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, I have this, uh, I'm excited. This is crazy. <laughs> I have this art business, um, where we essentially produce life stories for people and you can go just order it on Etsy. Um, but also I've done more of these like life moments and we did a, a Kickstarter where essentially, you know, I was trying to raise, uh, some funds to, you know, pay the artists more and really get this going. And you were super generous and donated. Oh, okay. Now that. I know the time. Yeah, 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 go. yeah. Okay. Um, and so, so I have an art piece for you that's like made, uh, yeah, specifically, specifically for you. Um, I hope you like it. I'm a little nervous. I already <laughs> like it. I already like it. It's something special um, for me. All right. So I'm going to bust it out. Okay. Oh my go. God. All right, so let me kind of really quickly explain wow. what you're seeing here. So this is uh, this is you and your son, Gabe. Um, we got little Beats headphones on the side. <laughs> I know you love playing golf. Yes. We got a little golf there. Um, and yeah, this is the shitty city of Chicago. We got your name and kind of a graffiti style up top. Um, oh my God. But yeah, this is for you, man. And Hopefully. this is for me for free? Yeah. Well, for, it's, a, it's a thank you for being on the show and for supporting the, wow. the Kickstarter. Um, how can someone order one? Uh, so or is it just, no, so you can go on our website, it's Sagan, S A G E N dot life. Um, I'll put a link below, but you can order it through Etsy or just like shoot me a message. This we, looks just like Gabriel and I. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I want to do something a little different with like the neon and not just, I don't know, do like your typical, uh, summer day, but I thought it was the neon because of the Chicago theater with the neon marquee. That's mm-hmm. why I, th- I thought you just made it melt out from all of that from there. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, is now awesome, we got locker room agency. Yeah. Here too. LRA. So yeah. you know what the parentheses symbolize? No, tell me. A family. Oh, like keeping it within the... Less emphasis. That's why the A is lowercase. Less emphasis on agency and more about family. I love that. I love the name too, by the way. Yeah. It's like you're kind of behind like the scenes and where the athletes happen. So this is awesome. Thank um, you so much. Yeah. GW, thank you so much for being on our very first podcast here at the Sagan Experience. Uh, honestly, I had a really good time talking to you. Yeah, it's, it's um, felt good to catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got to do the poker night soon. Um, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in and watching or listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Peace. Yeah, that's a wrap. Yes, that was awesome. Yeah. Dude, this is so dope. Like it? Damn. Wait till Gabriel sees this. Can I shout you guys out on on Instagram? Can I do? Please do. Yeah, I have to.